Hey, Bankless Nation, this is a special episode, actually an interview we recorded with Guy from Coin Bureau about a month ago. So some of the prices, some of the, those details might be dated, but I think we talked a lot about the Bankless story, David. So we, we thought you guys would enjoy it during the holidays. Importantly, this is an interview of us yes. by Coin Bureau. <laughs> yes. we are, this is not a Bankless podcast, but we are putting it on the Bankless podcast feed. Yeah, so hope you guys enjoy. As usual, I was shocked that he did a podcast. I don't. I still to this day have no idea why SBF came on a podcast with an eight billion dollar hole on his balance sheet. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coin Bureau. We have two very special guests with us today. I am deeply honoured to welcome none other than Ryan Sean Adams and David Hoffman, uh, better known as Bankless, uh, one of the best crypto podcasts out there, an invaluable source of information for not just all things Ethereum, but all things crypto and beyond as well. Um, I've been listening to Ryan and David for years now, and it just they just keep on getting better and better. I'm really glad that they They've been able to join me today. Uh, it's pretty early in the morning for them. Um, but guys, welcome and and thank you so much for joining. Oh, thanks for the kind word, guy. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to it's great to finally meet you. Like I say, I've been listening to you guys for for years now, and like uh, there are so you guys have had so many incredible conversations with some of the you know some of the top names in the space and. There's no way we've got time to sort of dig into all of those uh, today, but I do want to sort of uh, get your thoughts on a few sort of episodes that you've done, a few people that you've um, spoken to. But um, I thought an interesting thing to do to start with, because one thing I've kind of noticed is that uh, crypto, the crypto podcast world and the crypto YouTube world seem to be sort of quite separate poles a lot of the time. Um, yes. Now, and obviously, like you guys, you guys have uh, a YouTube channel, but I think you're sort of best known as, as as podcasters. So I thought for anyone sort of unfamiliar, for anyone who sort of gets most of their information from from YouTube, could you guys, uh, you know, give us your give us your backstory a little bit, like how you came to how you, uh, you know, how you got into crypto and how you came to do what you do with with Bankless? You want to start, David? Yeah, sure. Um, I think. To start things off, Ryan and I are definitely podcast people, I would say. We both are big podcast consumers. And I don't really know how anyone would start a podcast without having that as their foundation. Like first we enjoy podcasts and then we are like, okay, we could we could start a podcast. Uh, <laughs> and so that, that's probably why Bankless is known as a podcast is because that's where we came from. Yeah, like we, David, how, mu how, mu how much uh, podcast listening do you do versus YouTube, would you say? Like uh, yeah, like three to one ratio. And it used yeah, to, same. it used to be a 10 to one. It's gone. Yeah. It, YouTube has increased lately. And I would say that's been on track with Bankless's emphasis on YouTube. Like we've nailed the podcast game relatively early, but the YouTube game is still like new to us. We so, snuck at YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we snuck at YouTube. We're working on it. Uh, but we, we started first, you know, as podcast consumers and then podcasters. And that's really where Bankless came to be. Uh, filled this niche in the early days of Ethereum where there were a lot of people that had a lot of shared ideas and understanding about what this Ethereum thing is and what it could be. And this was back in like 2018 to 2019, when it was very, very early and no one knew what Ethereum was or where it was going. It's like we had just coined the words DeFi. Uh, and so we started the podcast to help articulate that story. Uh, and a lot of Ethereum people at the time were like, oh, thank God, finally someone is saying the words that I feel about Ethereum. Uh, and that's kind of where we got our first early foundations in this space. 
Yeah, I think like the perspective at that time, 2019, when we kicked things off was mm-hmm. we had just come out of 2017. And Guy, uh, you, you remember this, right? The highs of 2018, the elation all the way, and we're going to change the world and crypto is everything, all the way to the lows of 2018, 2019, and the absolute despair. And so David and I were on a kind of a similar quest and journey where we were fully bought into this crypto thing. And uh, we obviously, we had bags <laughs> from 2017. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out like, oh my God, we're, are we wrong? Like, did we did we miss something? Did we screw something up? Like, so for me, it was just going down to base principles and trying to figure out if I was crazy or everyone else was crazy. And so Bankless really began as a quest, right? It was just a, a couple of investors on the journey to make sense out of crypto. Like, what are the use cases? What what are blockchains good for? Uh, how do they actually accrue value? And so we basically open sourced this quest. And it was a series of conversations between David and myself. And then we'd bring guests on and we developed what we call the bankless thesis. Indeed, the name of the podcast is kind of a thesis for, for crypto, which is what does crypto do? Helps us go bankless, right? We have a money system, an alternate money system that does not rely on central banks or commercial banks uh, in order to thrive. So even the, the name of the episode is kind of, or the name of the thesis is in the, uh, the podcast uh, format. But like one other thing I'll say is um, I think that podcasting is a different medium than, than YouTube, yeah. right? So our podcast, like the, the reason it hasn't translated so well previously to YouTube is just, we tend to go on for a long time. Long and like, time. It's like <laughs> deep, long form conversation. And, um, you know, YouTube, at least my impression of YouTube, and I think there's some convergence. I think uh, things change. But YouTube just like, give me the answers, right? I want like, I want to see 15 minutes, like articulate something, and it takes David and I longer than 15 minutes to actually uh, go through an idea maze mm-hmm. and talk to a guest. So that's why <laughs> that's where, why we're probably native podcasters rather than YouTubers. Yeah, well, because I mean, you guys have been you guys have been working together for so for so long now, and you you know you gel so well together. I think that's part of the appeal, isn't it? It's like it's not just two guys who who really care about what they're talking about and what they're into, but also just like you know, really sort of bounce off each other so well. I think that's why, you know, I think that's one of the many reasons why it works, why Bankless works so well as a podcast. Yeah. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, from my experience of it, like from my experience of YouTube, because I mean, when we started, when we started Coin Bureau, you know, all those years ago, we had to sort of, we had to kind of figure out YouTube as we went along. And it was sort of like, surely, surely what people want is just like really short, like, you know, a couple of minutes. And then we were quite surprised when they wanted kind of, Turns out they wanted kind of longer form stuff. Mm. Um, but it's just, it, it feels like, a lot of the time it feels like the sort of goalposts uh, are almost shifting in a way because you're sort of trying to, you're trying to find that balance. Like people do like longer form stuff on YouTube, but only only up to a point. And then there's a sort of moment where they're sort of like, no, nah, this is enough. Like I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was actually going to ask you, Guy, because I think you do this really well um, with uh, with your YouTube channel and, and kind of your platform. But um, it seems to be there can be a challenge with anyone who is in crypto media with um, presenting candy to the audience versus presenting vegetables, right? We like yeah. to say at Bankless, what we're trying to do is like healthy candy. Uh, but like sometimes that's difficult because if you go um, by attention spans or narratives, then you're just talking about maybe the latest meme coin. Right. And what is yeah. the substance there? Like, how does that actually help us 
change the world and fulfill the promise of crypto and actually go bankless, right? And so if you give almost like the audience just the candy, oh, here are the 10 coins that are mooning and you need to buy right now, then I feel like you lose the plot. But if you don't do any of that, if you're just deep into the research and you're talking about like ETH research posts all the time with big brain cryptographers, then you're not changing the world either because you don't have an audience that actually cares about that. I'm curious from your perspective, because you seem to balance this very well. Um, how, how do you like manage this, the, the candy versus the, the health foods? It's it's tricky. It's a good it's a good question. Yeah, it's that idea of yeah calories and calories or sweeties, and it's uh, you know you know healthy calories, healthy candy, as you say. It's it's tricky. One of the, I think one of the things that we found that that kind of helped us grow was that was the sort of realization that you know crypto is no longer in a bubble, and I think this was coming. This was really sort of coming out sort of 2020, 2021, I think, this realization that crypto had evolved from just this thing that a few people were interested in and only that kind of existed in and of itself. And suddenly it was much more susceptible to, to macro forces. To It was a part of, you know, right. it was becoming a part of the kind of traditional system, which isn't, you know, which isn't great in, in many ways, but that's, that's still that's kind of cold, hard facts. And I think, I think sort of we pivoted a little bit to covering sort of more macro content as well in order to kind of, um, you know, flesh out the ecosystem for those who maybe sort of had a, a kind of passing interest in crypto. But like, you know, kind of like you say, they didn't want they didn't want to listen to like a deep dive into the latest EIPs or anything like that. But they're still, <laughs> you know, they've still got enough interest. They still want to know what's going on. Um, but yeah, you, you can't, they, they don't want, they don't want the hardcore tech, but it is tricky because, and I think especially during kind of periods like we've, we've just come out of. And I think this is why I certainly here, I, it's here at CoinBureau, I'm kind of getting the sense of it from you guys as well. You know, sentiment is kind of really sort of picking up because mm. in a bear market, when things are really bad, it's so difficult to keep people engaged and entertained and you sort of feel like well i should try and find some good news to cover and then it's like <laughs> pivot to ai <laughs> <laughs> you know everything sucks everyone's at each other's throats and all this sort of stuff it's um it can be really difficult so yeah it's i, I guess striking that balance between what you think your audience wants to see and what mm -hmm. you think they should see and sort of try and give them both because yeah i mean it would be very it would be very easy to do like top 10, top 10 meme coins for uh, for october <laughs> just like yeah we even as a little piece of you dies i mean we try to balance it out a little bit but we will like still do a show on an entire eip like we did a show called dank sharding and like we didn't even <laughs> no no blob space. Like, blob space blob space blob space sorry oh, yeah. <laughs> So like, but as it can't be all of our episodes, that's how we, we just uh, right. do a portfolio, mm -hmm. right? So you get a, a, some vegetables mixed in with uh, everything else. I think that's where we've kind of settled is there's just an extreme amount of variety on Bankless. So you get the one and a half hour long, very technical deep dives with Justin Drake. And at the end of that, mm -hmm. you're, you end up saying like, I can't really re regurgitate anything, but I still kind of got it anyways. <laughs> Uh, and then, and, and if then you feel like that, that's how David and I feel. And that's so how, yeah. Don't worry. Uh -huh. And then, and then there's like the 45 minute shorter forum episodes where we're specifically talking about market movements and like kind of doing the dopamine content that everyone in crypto pays attention to 
whether you're, a, you know, an 80 IQ DJ who just got in or you're Justin Drake, like one of these, like both everyone kind of pays attention to like market drama, no matter what, maybe, maybe Justin there's doesn't pl- actually. There's plenty of market drama. <laughs> yeah. Isn't yeah, there? Yeah. Always, all yeah. the time in crypto. <laughs> I, I would say in, in the YouTube game, and this is something that we identified pretty early at Bankless, I would say, um, we didn't, our, our, the first podcast episodes were no video just because we didn't have that set up. The technology wasn't there and we weren't very good at, like we could have done it, but we weren't very good at it. But it was something that, like that, that you tapped on to, Guy, when you said just like the, the, the chemistry between me and Ryan is really, really good. A lot of, I, I say like content producers as an industry, uh, when people wa- watch content, they kind of want to just catch a vibe. They, they want to like feel things. Uh, and w- one of the ways that we, me and Ryan got traction in the early days is that we were able to articulate some of the grand visions of crypto in the, in the grand scheme of things and the fullness of time. And uh, you put those in, into words, but that was a, that was an articulation of the way that a lot of people felt about this industry. And then we're also doing it like me and Ryan lean inherently optimistic. Uh, and then we also kind of have this, like we think similar, similarly, so we can bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, but, so, but I, David is gas and I am brakes. Yeah, we're, so we're same time and different. Right. This, yeah, this yeah, contrast uh-huh. too. <laughs> yeah, but we, we, you have the, the difference is in you and me, which is like the gas and brakes and like the, you're, you're a business background, I'm a psych background, but these are actually yeah. complementary, not, not like they don't c- conflict. And so like the bankless brand just makes people like feel things at times, sometimes negative things. Some people yeah, don't like us at very all, negative <laughs> but like the, the idea is like the, the people do feel stuff and like yeah. we have like leaned into that a little bit. It's not an apathetic brand. By yes. the way, you could tell yeah. that David and I are still podcasters because we have these big, big yeah, ass uh, headphones, headphones yeah. on. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were just talking about. We're, David just sent me. Yeah, a link I want to. I want to like, get the invisible headphones. I want to get the at that, that point. That, yeah. You'll know that we uh-huh. are trying to like do more right. with YouTube when we get the invisible headphones. <laughs> that's that's the moment you transition. The headphones come off, and suddenly, yeah. suddenly you're a YouTuber, and it's all it's all good. Yeah. Is it better um, on the other side, guy? Is it better to be on the YouTube side? It's okay. It's okay. It has its <laughs> it has its moments. It can it can get a bit weird as well. People can Well, you guys you guys deal with some characters on YouTube that I just yeah. don't I don't think exist in the podcast game. Like there are some absolute like crypto YouTube uh personalities, I would yeah, say. There, I, there certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, it's sometimes you just find yourself kind of, you know, it's like, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> oh my God. Like, is this real? Is this? Yeah. Am I actually? Am I actually seeing this? Am I actually? Am I, am I actually a part of this world? Yes, it would seem that I am. Good lord! It's uh, yeah. It, it can be very. It can be very strange. There's there's never a dull moment. But yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying, David, I think you know, I I think the chemistry that you guys have is is really sort of tangible. But I think like all the best podcasts, I think when it's two people talking, like you know, you you feel like you're in the room with you guys. Yeah. And I think that's, but I think that's the big attraction for, for, you know, for people with podca- podcasts, you know, I think most people tend to consume podcasts like, you know, when they're, when they're kind of, you know, walking or, or going, you know, kind of going about their day. And I think that's part of the joy of it because you can just sort of, you know, you can get on with your day whilst also having, whilst also being in the company of these, of these people talking about, you know, blob space and all this kind of, you know, all this sort of <laughs> yes. weird stuff. Um, yes. Because I listen to you guys uh, on my on my way into work. I've got one of those. Uh, I got one of those electric scooters because I thought I'm, mm. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go down the Dubai route of buying a <laughs> buying a big supercar and getting stuck mm-hmm. in traffic. 
So I listen to you guys on my on my scoot in, and it just like you know, it just makes the time go uh, beautifully. It's um, but it's a, obviously you know, YouTube is a kind of is a kind of different different medium entirely. It takes it takes a bit of cracking, but um, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it's rewarding. Come come over to the other side. We're working on it. Our, our team is, is corralling us over there and they're doing a good yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You just have to, you know, you, you, you have to lose it at some point and just uh, you know, <laughs> give over, give over to the nuttiness of it all. Um, you'll enjoy it. I wanted to, so like, like I said earlier, you know, there are so many great episodes that you guys have done. I want to take you back in time, if I may, to sort of just over a year ago. Uh, because my my wife Katie and I had just moved into our house here in Dubai, and she'd set me the task of building the bed that we'd had delivered. And I noticed that uh, there was a Bankless episode on, and it was the debate that you guys hosted between Eric Voorhees and uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. And I kind of put it on, and my wife came up about an hour later and found me just sat on the floor, uh, surrounded by a completely unbuilt bed, just sort of... <laughs> You know, this, with my, with my wife's happening? headphones on, she was like, "What? What? It, what tell, please tell me what is so fascinating that you you completely failed to do this." But um, yeah, I mean, I remember that was such an incredible an incredible episode to listen to. It was an incredible debate. I just wanted to I just wanted to get your guys' take on it. You know, after everything that's happened, obviously we're talking in the wake of SBF being found guilty. He's looking at you know possibly possibly 100 years plus in jail. But mm-hmm. looking back on that time, do you guys, what do you guys make of all that? I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that Eric kind of won that debate hands down. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, but I think certainly. Yeah. What did you, what did you make of it all at the time? Did it, did it feel as surreal as it kind of came across? To listen to? Yes, definitely. And there's, if you go, if you look at, uh, I mean, only we can see it because we only, we have the back end to the, to the particular episode, the analytics, but you can see the chart of viewers, concurrent viewers who are watching the live stream. Like it, it spikes up as all live streams do. And then it hovers around some flat line for a little bit. And then mm-hmm. the debate really picks up and you can see the moment when friends are texting friends or people are sending out tweets and they're like, yo, everyone get in here and watch this. Eric is dismantling SBF. Um, and so like, it's right, it's right around halfway through and the, like the, the viewership like triples very, very quickly. And at, at the same time, like everyone talks about like, oh, this like this huge episode that the Bankless did that you guys produced. Ryan and I stopped talking about no, like Eric. one third of the way through the podcast. Yeah. And like we, we had like a mid roll sponsor break that, you know, we do for every single live stream. And I, I'm texting Ryan. It's like, we, technically Skip. we should be doing sponsors right now, but like, we can't end this. Like we just have to let this roll. And, and so like we, we just went hands off. Like the, the episode wrote itself. It's SBF like handed Eric his jugular and Eric was like, okay, thank you. Uh, and he proceeded to just dismantle SBF. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a surreal moment, I, I think, for the entire industry. I, I think it was. And I think that this was part of the unveiling. So so let's remember uh, the fast, you know, go, go back in history, rewind a, a bit further. So this was this happened in um, the end of October 2022. Yeah. But if you rewind to January 2022, the the three smartest people in crypto were Do Kwan, SBF, and Suzu. Okay, mm-hmm. these were the legends. These were the people we put on a pedestal, right? SBF, this phenom that built 
built a an exchange faster than Brian Armstrong, right? The, like he was he was so big at the time. And then of course we saw the downfall of of Do Kwan, we saw the downfall of Suzu, but who is still standing in October 2022, the savior of crypto, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. And so this debate actually happened 12 days before all of the shit went down and everything came to light. And so we were actually, um, first of all, I was shocked that he did a podcast. I don't, I still to this day have no idea why SBF came on a podcast with an $8 billion hole on his balance sheet. That to me does not make logical sense. That is some kind of like SBF level hubris. Well, we didn't on. yet know that SBF didn't shut up. Like he had, yeah. he had just entered that arc of I talk. Does a lot. not he does not have the shut up gene? Right. And I think we saw that in court. He decided to right. testify on his own behalf. Right. Like he just he's got something that right. most human beings right. don't have. Um, and so the reason he came on was because he was pushing forward this this anti DeFi legislation. Mm-hmm in DC behind closed doors in a way that would effectively pull up the ladder from the decentralized exchange front ends right. and accrue more power to his exchange. And so we were like, SBF, come on, talk to us about it. Engage with and us. Then, yes. And then uh, Eric Voorhees wrote a blog post about the same issue. So we're like, you know what's even better than us talking to him is Voorhees talking to him. And so that was the genesis for the conversation. But I thought it would be a bit more equal, like sparring back and forth. But at the time, the piercing moral clarity of Eric mm-hmm. Voorhees, just to kind of like, why are we here? Like, what are we doing, Sam? Juxtaposed with the kind of like- um, Compromising uh, Faustian bargain that was SBF. It was so clear, even right. at the time. And we didn't know that that he was short $8 billion, but we knew he was short like Values. We right. knew he was short. Like the reason we're all in crypto, and, and, and he, I think Sam articulated, like I am here not for decentralization. Yeah. I'm, I'm a mercenary. I'm a mercenary. I'm just going to make as much money as possible, and then I'm going to give it away. And right? I, I think people were okay with that until he stepped into Congress. Until he yes. like started yeah. to play into the the regulatory arbitrage game. Anyway, um, I that the the other interesting thing about that episode, David, is like when we were going through it, like uh, SBF seemed like shaken during the time like right. if you watch like he he was unable to articulate in the same right. way that he usually is he, start, he started to fall apart he started to fall apart yeah uh and you know <laughs> if, if, if like I, I i speak english but i i'm guessing if you didn't speak english and you watched that episode you would understand that like yo that the eric guy won the debate like you don't yeah. have to understand the words that were said to understand that like sam bankman free just like fell apart I don't know. What, what did you think of it, guys? So at the time, of course, the entire industry didn't know that what, what SPF was up to behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, what did you think of that when you were trying to assemble that bed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, was, it was like, you know, the, the, more, the more that it went on and the more, you know, because Eric just sort of killed him with logic and clarity, like you said, didn't he? It, it, was, so, it was so clinical. And it was was sort of like, I don't, I, you know, when you, you know, when you sort of feel like, oh, you feel on edge, even though you're, even though you're completely, you know, in agreement with, with the party that's winning, you're like, Eric is absolutely right here. Like, wow. It was still kind of, it was still sort of painful to listen to in, in, in a way. Cause it, you know, even though the, even though right was winning out, it was still like, this is, I mean, this is kind of, 
this is embarrassing for for SBF, you know, this, and and I guess at the same time you're like, wow, hang on, this is someone who was, you know, the J.P. Morgan of crypto a few months before that, you know, as you said, the, yes. like, the, the savior of it, or so we thought. Um, and, and guy, I'm so glad we did that episode and that it's on the record. I'm I'm glad on behalf of Bankless, but I'm also glad on behalf of the crypto industry because I think after that, um, crypto has been painted in a such a light that it's full of SBFs and scammers. And people who don't, you know, like uh, take accountability for their actions, right? And indeed, we had a, an episode with um, SBF, like even before that, in March of that year, where it was just like, you know, we've had CZ on the podcast, we've had Brian Armstrong, we've had the Winklevoss twins, where you've got a big exchange. Let's talk about your vision for it, right? Yeah. And so I am so glad we had an episode pre FTX collapse where there's someone in crypto who represents like why we're here calling this man to task like on behalf of our industry. I feel like that is evidence we can point to as an industry and just be like, no, we knew something well, was he was going not on. wasn't our guy. He was not, not our one guy. of us. Not our guy. <laughs> 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 he wasn't us. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's so important. It, it is it is like, you know, people outside of crypto think that it's you know, the whole the whole industry just sort of exists to scam people or whatever. I think it's really important, yeah. like you say, to have <laughs> to have a record of that, to have a record of people in the industry going, hang on a sec, no, what what's going on here? You know, you have to you have to explain this. And I think I think Eric around that time was was talking about uh, this idea of having industry standards as well. Right. Um, you know, the industry itself saying this is acceptable, this is not, you know, a lot of it I think was uh, was going to be around sort of exchanges and proof of reserves and, and solvency and things like that. And it was such a great, to, it was such a great conversation to have because it's like, yeah, yeah. How do we expect, how can we expect uh, government agencies, you know, people who, uh, people, outsiders to come and, to come and regulate us? If we can't sort of clean out our own house, if we can't, you know, try and try and draw up, try and police ourselves, try and draw up regulations for ourselves, um, and that's yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sort of discuss that, that discuss that episode with you because I think I think it is a really sort of important moment in in the history of crypto. Really, it's like you know, not only was this guy sort of the, the whole facade started to fall apart, but it's also like. You know, here is evidence of it. Here is evidence of the industry sort of, you know, policing itself to an extent. Well, absolutely. And I don't know if you read a post from uh, Balaji Srinivasan who who makes this this point. So it wasn't just that Bankless episode. It was um, Crypto Media who actually like broke the story. It was like that mm. CoinDesk article from the reporter yeah. who revealed the balance sheet. And then it was Crypto Twitter that was looking at kind of, oh, what's this money going on in the blockchain? Let, let, let's uh, look at Alameda's accounts. Let's look at FTX's accounts and see where's the money, right? It was these citizen journalists. It wasn't traditional media that actually uh, broke this and disclosed. It certainly wasn't Gary Gensler, who had had multiple meetings with SBF earlier in the year. It was really the crypto industry that revealed this. And so that's an, another untold story. And I hope Guy, I hope these stories make the the Hollywood like movies and the documentaries. And when the social network comes out for crypto, I hope they 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 cover it in, in the right way. But if they don't, then I think you know the real ones know. People who were in crypto mm -hmm. at that time, you know, they they know what actually happened. Yeah, yeah, and I think well, it's so important to to pass that lesson on, isn't it? To go look because that's another thing I wanted to ask you guys just uh, on that on the on the subject of that interview. It's like, do you do you think 
Do you think crypto has kind of, as an industry, has kind of learned its lessons from that whole saga? Are we are we older and wiser, or do you think there's still a likelihood that we're we're going to make the same mistakes again? I think this last 2022, the the year of just terrible price action and blow ups and fraudsters being revealed as fraudsters, that was pretty unprecedented in crypto. Like we had some pretty um, undesirable behavior in the downfall of 2018 uh, in that same same kind of era, but it was not at the same level of the gaping hole that was three hours capital or the absolute just toxicity that was the Do Kwan army and Do Kwan himself, followed by like the level of fraud in 2022 was quite unprecedented. And I think a, a little bit of that was because there had been fraud in the industry before and no one had really gone to jail yet. Uh, and so it was perceived as like a crypto as, is an industry where you could get away with fraud and you could make billions of dollars and walk away without ever like being tried by a justice system. So I think 2022 was useful in the fact that like, no, actually, if fraud is fraud, no matter where you are or what industry that you're in. So now that we have this precedent, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm happy that we have that foundation to stand on. I'm also cautious about entering a bull market in which people's values tend to be forgotten. And it is the moment, it is the time in which um, leaving your values behind is the most profitable. It's the most profitable time to do that. Uh, and so, you know, crypto is more mature. Um, if we do enter a bull market, people will do less than desirable things. But at least we have precedent of people, you will go to jail if you do anything significant. So check yourself. So um, I'm, I'm mixed. Yeah, I the way I would answer that is um, we will uh, make the same mistakes just in different ways. Yeah. Um, so I think that if you look at kind of the parallels between ICOs and all of these like futility tokens and all of this money that was raised in 2017, that was the mistake. That was the cardinal sin of the 2017 bull market. And then if you look at you know, 2021, 2022, it was quite obvious that the cardinal sins were there. Algo stable coins, you know, margin trades with with hedge funds, you know, pumping these ecosystems that, that really didn't deserve it and ultimately centralizing all of our private keys, right? And trusting the BlockFi's and the Celsius, Alex Mashinsky. God, he doesn't get enough um, shame. Alex Mashinsky and, uh, you know, all of those people that, that stole our funds. We will make mistakes that are few fueled by the basic human psychology of boom bust of bubble every cycle but we won't make them in the exact same ways right. i don't think we will uh, trust another alex mashinsky who's wearing a shirt that says don't um trust banks. don't trust banks and is himself <laughs> the the least trustworthy banker in existence um mm. maybe well actually maybe not in existence because he had uh, you know qu quite a quite a list of other untrustworthy crypto bankers at that time but so and in fact, uh, Dave and I just did an episode. I think you listened to it, Guy, because you mentioned this before we recorded with um, a, a, an investor who's outside of crypto, just a TradFi kind of investor named Morgan Housel and wrote a book called The Psychology of Money, where he's just like, the reason it will never change is because human beings don't change. We're running the same like uh, homo sapien software that we always have. And so we're going to have these uh, you know, envy, greed-filled booms and these busts that we have to live with. We're going to throw the crazy wild party and everyone's going to get drunk and then someone's going to have to clean up afterwards. That's just how it is. And I guess I've come to terms with kind of accepting that. And uh, my belief is 
And I think our hope is, and the optimist in both David and I is like, well, the the benefit at the end of this is going to be worth all of the painful, you know, hangovers and parties that that we've had along the years because we are building an open, permissionless money system for the world. If it was all neat and orderly, if it wasn't chaotic, that would be an indication that it was a centralized system. Like it's almost like yeah. it has to happen this way if it's bottom up and decentralized. Like that's how you know it's uh it's new and it's a, a movement from the bottom up. Yeah. I was I was listening to that episode with uh, that you did with Morgan uh yesterday and can I just say to anyone watching um if you what if you listen to anything uh before the bull market starts you should listen to uh to to Ryan and David uh speaking with Morgan Hauser. It was such a good episode. Um obviously the psychology of money is is a wonderful book and um I haven't had a chance to read his uh, new one. It's um that was what you were discussing, wasn't it? Same, same as ever, I think it was called. Same as ever and he just mm-hmm. talks about the yeah. timeless principles of of life and investing things that don't change yeah it reminded me of something um something my uh grandmother used to say she she always used to say like if something if if something is easily got then it isn't worth having and yeah. <laughs> i think i really kind of felt that with listening to that discussion it's like yeah I, you know it has to be hard because as you said we're starting we we started from zero we started from from satoshi started from zero 15 years ago and I mean, that's no time in the grand scheme of things. And we're still kind of, we're still building, we're still making mistakes, we're still screwing up things. Some things are working, some things are collapsing into dust, but that's, that's the way it has to be. Otherwise, we, otherwise that, you don't get progress from that. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't think there's an, uh, an easy path here. The volatility is the price of entry. That's another thing that, uh, that Morgan Housel said. If you want something to 5X, Okay. The the reverse of that is you have to be comfortable with an asset losing eighty percent of its value. Like that's kind of the trade off that we make. And so, yeah, we we don't get to have our cake and eat it too in crypto. We can't. It can't always be infinite up. <laughs> that's not how. That's not how life works. Yeah. Well, of course, because I mean that was the point. That was a point he made, wasn't it? About the, you know these the, this idea of people years ago sort of trying to figure out how to stop recessions. It's like. Well, you you can't like if right. if you never had a recession, that would that would create the perfect conditions for an absolutely massive recession. You know. It's well, like, I just think I imagine how we're, how much worse our industry would actually be if we didn't have twenty twenty two, and we still had yeah. an algo stable coin that was now, rather than thirty billion, it was now three hundred billion. Okay, and then and then um, actual retail, non crypto retail got involved because some fintech app started offering it. And we had Sam Bankman Fried, who had grown to the largest exchange in the world with FTX. And he was, it was larger than Binance at this point in time. And it wasn't $8 billion in lost uh, private keys, it was $50 billion. Like, and then we had Alex Mashinsky and BlockFi, and all of these things were continuing to grow. Imagine that. Like, to me, yeah. it's, uh, we dodged a bullet, honestly. It was like 2022, as painful was, uh, as it was, was, the best possible thing that could have happened to crypto. Yeah, we we did clean up all of the mess in 2022 in in 18 months. I mean, it was one year of time between the fall of FTX and Sam like being charged guilty. I remember um, one of the very early takes that I heard in the middle of middle of 2022. I think right after the fall of FTX was from uh, a friend of our pod, Nick Carter. And he, he said mm-hmm. that um, it was Nick Carter and Matt Walsh. And they, they said that uh, we're not going to be able to have a bull market 
until we clean up the fraudsters and the scammers and we throw them in jail. And I remember listening to that take and like not wanting to believe it. This was like November, December of, of 2022. Cause I was like, man, Doquan's still out there. SBF just, we had a new one, right? Like, uh, three O's capital They're They're still running free. Like we, we have to like, according to this take, we have to get every single one in jail before we can have a bull market again. And like, it, it's obviously not to perfectly correlated. Like we could find some internal like catalyst, like DeFi summer to have a bull market, but just like the sentiment of just like, we will never be legitimized as an industry until we throw away the scammers and fraudsters. And then on the dot, the week that SBF gets charged guilty, like tokens pump 50% off the ground. Like the, the take was super prescient. And again, correlation, not causation, et cetera. But I, I thought it was, a, it was a great take. And also at the same time, we can now feel good about prices going up rather than bad. Like I, I wouldn't feel the same if SBF was walking free and like Doquan wasn't in jail and Three Hours Capital was still being Three Hours Capital after all of the harm and fraud that they caused. And then we just had another bull market with them. That would not make me feel good. Well, I, I'm actually curious from you guys. Do you, are you surprised that this is happening so soon? I mean, there's an element of me as like, this is my third cycle here. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, we've recovered from that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I do feel like that. Like you said, mm -hmm. at, at some level, I'm like, it was only a year ago. Right. It was only a year ago when we had that uh, conversation with SBF. And so much has happened. And now you're saying we've healed and we're back to right. bull market? Like yeah. too soon? It seems fast, but also it's the same exact time as last cycle. And I think <laughs> I <know. laughs> time just goes faster now because we're older. We've done, we've seen this before. Okay. I know first cyclers are like, what are you guys talking about? We went through so much pain. Right. That, was that, the, that, that was forever. the worst. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I'm just like, wow, that was quick. Yeah. Well, you guys were talking about this the other day, weren't you? Because you were like, there's always that, there's always that thing in the back of your mind. It's like, okay, so it goes in cycles, but is it really going to, are we really going to have another cycle? Is, yeah. this, is this actually going to happen <laughs> again? It can't be that easy. If everyone thinks uh, yeah, it's going to yeah, go in exactly. cycle, it's not going to go into the cycle, right? In a four-year cycle. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like- well, Going oh back God, to the Morgan Housel thing, right? If it's, if it's easy, it's not worth doing. It's like, yeah, the four-year four cycles, if, you, if they really play out that way, that's super easy. But come on, you had to live through 2022 <laughs> and 2023 <laughs> yeah. wasn't great either. Like those no. weren't, that was hard. That was no, a hard that thing. that was hard. It was hard. Yeah. You guys earned it. Hey, if you're still listening to Coin Bureau, if you're still listening to Bankless, it's likely you were you you lived through all of that. And I feel like you have you've got veteran status now. Yep. All right. You are going to yeah. be the OG for future generations of crypto. Uh, I mean, we are still like you know one fifth of the U.S. Uh, owns crypto. We are still on the early side. I mean, barely anyone's using mm -hmm. DeFi and actually you know, has possession of their own you know, private keys and is actually bankless. We're still very early. I, know, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And it's, um, yeah, it's like, it's like that OG status is, is kind of hard earned, isn't it? Like you really have to, you really have to walk through the fire to get that. And, um, I mean, I guess you look back to, you know, some of the, some of the true OG, like, you know, like Eric Voorhees, who was there sort of almost at the beginning and went through Mount Gox and went through, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like, these guys have, these guys have earned a right to have an opinion for by, you know, by through years of just kind of putting up with, I guess, what what might be termed, you know, even worse back in the day, like Mount Gox, but sort of was almost terminal, wasn't it? I, I remember getting into crypto about that time. It, I heard about crypto sort of 
um, late 2013. And then I think it was sort of early 2014 when Mount Gox started to crumble. I was like, whoa, this... (laughs) 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 Hang on a sec. And then it survived. And I was like, okay, wow, this is... This is more resilient than I thought. That was a moment for me. But like to to have been someone um, in it, you know, invested in it, or like I speak to a lot of people who had who had money on Mount Gox, and they were just like, "Yeah, I remember trying to do that. I remember trying to get it off. It was uh, I remember just like like trying to email Mark Carpellis directly, and it was like it was it was pretty wild. <laughs> it's right. like yeah. you you guys have earned it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've come such a long. I mean, that was a uh, magic the gathering like a uh, card changing uh, tra- trading exchange that that converted to a, a crypto exchange you know it's like we have come so far since then we have real <laughs> companies here you know like it's it's 10 years i mean it's not a long time no we have yeah we have real companies we have we we have we will have etfs before too long mm-hmm. it's 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 crazy to think um touching on touching on the etfs i, I like obviously you guys are not not Entire, not solely focused on Ethereum, but you know Ethereum is is kind of a, a large part of, of Bankless's focus. Um, so, can I just get your get your take on on where Ethereum is at the moment? Obviously, it's been kind of in Bitcoin shadow a lot recently. Uh, network activity has been down. You know, ETH went uh, inflationary for a bit again. There's kind of a lot of fud flying around about Ethereum, which I think is sort of always the case. Um, I don't think that's necessarily anything new. Um, and then, of course, suddenly we're now talking about Ethereum ETFs as well. Um, so, yeah, I just I just wanted to get your guys' take on it. You know, is ETH, has Ethereum still got kind of quite a lot of work to do before it can really join the party, or are you sort of more optimistic? Are you, are you ready to cope, David? You cope first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, like you said, like Ethereum always kind of occupies this space but uncanny space in which it never really seems to be popular. I think in, from January of 2021 to like May of 2021, Ethereum was like in vogue for the moment of time in which I thought, like, okay, finally, like it, it's getting the recognition it's deserved. Like DeFi is now being recognized. NFTs are now being recognized finally. And then people just went down the market cap stack into like more shinier objects, right? And this is where like the whole... Uh, Sol uh, Luna Avax like trade came came about and was like oh let's find the even shinier object than Ethereum and like Ethereum's roadmap and what it wants to do is so incredibly ambitious and multifaceted that it it like not most people don't uh, have the whole entire scope of it able to like be realized inside of their brains like it it takes a lot and a lot of knowledge and a lot of appreciation for the many, many, many moving parts of Ethereum to really understand the the grand vision of the whole entire thing. And so, and and then also at the same time, Ethereum's market cap is is big. It's $300 billion right now, $250 billion. And so it's not, it's not a penny stock anymore. And so when so much of crypto is kind of like the craps table and rolling of the dice and like trying to trying to get the 10x, the 100x quickly, like Ethereum doesn't really occupy that space. Uh, and so it, it's always there, there's that one meme of the like the guy up against the wall and there's like 50 swords pointed at him. Yeah. That's always kind of f- felt like a theory. You know what movie is that from? That, that's from David. It's like a Pixar I, movie. Yeah. Tangled. 
Tangled? Tangled, okay. yeah. Sure. The Tangled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so like <laughs> Ethereum occupies the space where, yeah, it's getting the Ether ETF because of its size. Um, but then also just the ambitiousness of the roadmap is too long to be realized and catch that dopamine hit of people in the short-term investing cycle that is a bull market to be interested in that. So it's just always occupying this like uncanny valley of just like, uh, it's too big to be a fun speculative bet. And the, the it's, it's moving too slowly in its roadmap to satisfy a lot of the now, now, now investors. So I guess, um, that's good cope, David. Good yeah, cope. thanks. Uh, he, Excellent cope. He, here's my cope on it. So, first of all, I think um, things in Ethereum are going just fine. Yeah. Like, I think it is executing incredibly well from a fundamentals perspective. And you just look at the growth of, of layer twos. Um, and also, it's doing pretty well from an institutional narrative perspective. There will probably be um, two ETFs that we get this bull cycle season. Uh, one of them, sorry, uh, XRP lovers, it's not going to be XRP. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that was fake news. Um, but it's going to be Bitcoin and Ether. And those are the two ones that I think will get institutional capital uh, attention. But what I think is going on is this reminds me a lot of um, 2020. And uh, if you remember 2020, so this was like when we were just starting to recover post-COVID. It was about this time uh, back in, in 2020. And the things that were pumping were smaller cap DeFi tokens and Bitcoin, not Ethereum. And so there was very much this narrative of, you Ethereum is just a, a gas token. It's just for payment only. What does it really do? You, you want to own a store of value, which is Bitcoin. You want to own, own your money. And then you want all of these DeFi tokens, which gives you exposure to the DeFi economy, the neo-banking system. And that's all you need. And as David was saying, like Ethereum in that world, in that narrative world, just gets left behind. It's, right. you know, the, the stepchild that no one loves, right? It's just like not even part of the, the appetite in that kind of world. I think something similar is playing out right now, but it's not um, DeFi tokens. It is uh, Bitcoin and all of these uh, very fast alternative layer ones. And so what, what's interesting to me is actually what happened in the aftermath of, of 2020, because anytime price runs up like so high, remember what we're actually doing. Of course, there's there's the narrative reason it pumps, but if you still believe in fundamentals, and you know, I might be one of the last guys in crypto still that believes in long-term fundamentals, okay? But if you think that the world of fundamentals is is a real world and that narratives are shorter term, but fundamentals are the things that last, what happened with DeFi tokens is they pulled forward a whole bunch of future expectations. And I'll admit, I got caught up in it too. The thesis for DeFi tokens in 2020 was that these governance tokens would pivot into, like governance would vote in profit share, essentially, so that you'd have on-chain revenue and on-chain uh, profit associated with these DeFi tokens. And so what happened? A massive run-up. The whole market realized that this would be huge. Mm-hmm. And so DeFi tokens absolutely went on a tear and all of these these future expectations, hopes were pulled into the present. Okay, what has happened since then? It's been completely flat. Three and three what, year bear market in DeFi tokens. And let's talk about the reality. Very few DeFi tokens are more than governance tokens today. Okay, very few of them actually pay back token holders with on chain profits. Very few of them have actual solid fundamentals. So a lot of the expectations that was pulled forward at that time turned out to not be true. 
And I worry a little bit about this alternative layer one run up, right? Because I don't know that a block space is as valuable as people think it is, or at least what's happening is a lot of future expectations are being pulled to the present. And I don't know that um, these these tokens and assets will be able to sustain that over like the one to three period of time, a year period of time. So I don't know, uh, maybe none of that matters. And by the way, if you're a narrative investor or if you're a trader, it honestly, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It totally doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. You should go chase yeah. these things mm-hmm. and do well. Like God bless, like that's a character <laughs> class that you're choosing. So like, just kill it, crush it. I hope you crush it. But if you're a fundamentals uh, uh, investor, then you're looking around and you're kind of scratching your head and you're wondering, well, like I'm not seeing on-chain activity yet that matches this. I'm not seeing like total value locked increase. I'm seeing a lot of hopes and expectations being pulled forward. And maybe those expectations come true, but if they don't, we're looking at a pretty flat um, asset class after, after the bull run. So that's my cope. <laughs> and I do think I do think Ether will have its time. Like just right. like in, you know, it happened uh actually around this time in 2020. Uh in December 2020, Ether had an absolute massive run up and people woke up to it uh and it did pretty well. I think that will also happen this bull cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, and and I guess this idea of narratives is is kind of so much easier to buy into, isn't it? It's like the alternative layer one narrative. It's like, oh, it's a layer one, but it's faster than Ethereum. That's easy to understand. Yes. Whereas kind of to go back to what you were saying, David, you know, Ethereum is just so sprawling, isn't it? There's so right. much happening on it. You know, there's a whole mm-hmm. there's a whole layer two ecosystem on it. As you said, there's uh, however many EIPs being worked on. There's there's things like um, blob space and, and dank sharding going on that <laughs> yes. are, quite, are kind of difficult to get your head around. You're just like, eh, a fast, uh, you know, tw- a faster layer one is a lot easier to to understand. You know, that's mm-hmm. why not just go for that? Yeah, it, Ethereum has its roll-up centric roadmap. Right. And so uh, this Ethereum growth strategy is not to hold growth internally into its layer one. It's allow it's, a, it's supposed to allow room for its layer twos to like take the baton and run with it the rest of the way. So the, it, when it comes time to be narrative season and no one cares about fundamentals anymore. Now it's like the Ethereum layer one versus Solana, which has the stronger narrative. And Ethereum has sharded its narrative into the Ethereum layer one, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, ZK Sync, uh, you know, uh, you know, pick your next layer two, pick your next layer two, Aztec, like pick your next layer two. And so like it's Ethereum. And one of the reasons why I find so much resonance with Ethereum is it's, it's a pluralist system. It's trying to make room for as many diversity of chains spawn out of its core base so that every single chain can have its own flavor, its own autonomy, its own ecosystem, its own throughput. And when it comes time to be narrative season, Ethereum has actually given giving its narrative power away to its layer twos. And so they all have a smaller share of this grander Ethereum vision, but it's never contained inside of one container. And so when you have like the alt layer one versus Ethereum narrative season, well, Ethereum gave up some of that power to its layer. Do you know what's funny though? As I, I'm listening to you talk, David, is like, um, you know, just to play devil's advocate, and uh, I'm spinning a narrative on, right now on that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> one man's uh, narrative season is another man's like a fundamental season. Sure. Look, the fundamentals are finally showing up. Right. So I can I can hear somebody in the uh, listening to this in the Solana community listening to these uh, old coping uh, ETH maxis drone on. Of which, by the way, we are not ETH maxis. That's uh, and I'm also but... not coping. I don't feel like I'm coping. <laughs> no, I, fantastic. Everybody, like uh, I hope you make insane profits uh, mm-hmm. during during this cycle. But somebody's listening to that and they're like, David, you're absolutely wrong. This is actually the fundamentals catching up, okay? Sure. So this is like, finally, the market has woken up to high TPS uh, integrated uh, blockchain, block space, and right. like now the, the uh, it's no longer narrative, it's fundamentals that are actually catching up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, sure. that's why it's very hard to parse, right? Yeah. And you only know who's right in the long run, in the very long run. Well, I, we do know as the bull market continues, real fundamentals do get thrown out the door. Sure. Everyone was like, oh, like Terra Luna has solved alchemy (laughs) at the the top of last market. The new central bank. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bye, Jerome Powell. We don't Mm -hmm. need you anymore. Yeah. But it is, I mean, yeah, I suppose from the perspective of someone new to crypto, you know, there's just, it's so much easier to buy into a relatively simple narrative, isn't it? It's go, yeah. oh, and well, probably way more profitable, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably you'll make, on, on make the upside, way more money. On the upside, yeah. on the downside, well, when it's no longer narrative season and you've been buying narratives all year, all of a sudden you're on the other end of the trade. Yeah. But then on the downside, yeah. you just trade to staples, David. Oh, a- Again, this simple. is why. Simple. <laughs> This is why if you, you got to choose your character, there's one thing we say on Bankless is know who you are, choose your character class. Like you're, you're entering an RPG, you know, you're, you're playing Diablo. Are you a sorcerer? Are you a necromancer? Are you a barbarian? Like what's, mm-hmm. what's your skill tree? What's your attribute? Like, what are you going to do? Are you a trader? Are you a long-term investor? Buy and hold. I'm a bard. Out there I finding bard. <laughs> David's a bard. <laughs> is that a mix of things? No, no bards don't do anything. You just it's just, a, it's just it. a guy with a guitar who like sings stuff <laughs> and it, like cheers on everyone else. Like, well, at least you guys the bard is this. happy. The bard may not accomplish much, but at least the bard is happy, Dave. <laughs> the bard is repu- is is recording it all for posterity. Right. There yeah. you go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the, the songs that will be sung in, in the future about, right. about right. all the, 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 mm-hmm. the degenerate characters and their and their escapades. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's it is funny to talk to people. I spoke to my I spoke to my brother-in-law the other day, who's one of the biggest degens that I know, and he was mm-hmm. just like describing, you know, how he's how he's allocated, and he's like, it's a it's a pretty fine balance, but so long as everything stays reasonably okay, I should be fine. It's like just well, made me made me stressed just thinking about it but like yeah everyone has their everyone has their their sort of way of doing it it's one of the beautiful things about about this about this industry isn't it you can like you guys say adopt your character you go for it um and uh yeah the re- the rewards are amazing the downside is 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 pretty painful but it's it's I, a heck of a ride i think your character class can change cycle to cycle like Probably both David and myself were a bit more um, degen in our in our younger days, and yeah. and uh, David is even more degen than me, right? And so, but on uh, on the on the degen scale, I'm not degen. But in like, relation yeah. to Ryan, yes, yeah. So so <laughs> as you kind of like your life circumstances change, you've been through more cycles. You just you tend to get a bit more, you know, grandpa wisdom, <laughs> which I guess is what <laughs> I at least offer the podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you as well. Like, I listened to uh, I listened to your Bankless Takes episode the other week, which I which I loved because it sounded like you guys were sort of really, uh, really kind of letting off steam. Um, 
I think you'd had some sort of interactions with the Solana community and, you know, it all been, it had been a kind of fascinating week. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, do you find, do you find all that kind of, uh, I think we'd call it shithousery in, in, in the UK, but uh, all that That's kind of mudslinging that goes on, all the chaos of crypto Twitter, do you, do you secretly love all of that? Or do you think it's, do you think it's more something that we could probably do without and we'd all be a bit, we'd all be a bit happier and a bit richer? I mean, it's hard for me to know how much of this is uh, crypto specific versus um, more a symptom of uh, social media and kind mm. of uh, the algorithms and like the um, the different rewards that and like dopamine rewards and the different uh, kind of incentives that that rest behind uh, different influencers. And because I I don't I don't know guy that um, any other area is that much different. Like if you go look at like politics, social media or politics, uh, Twitter, I mean, shithousery, that's a good term for that too. Um, go look at like, uh, even AI, uh, which is kind of like, you know, very technical. It's, it's much of that. So the, the way we, I, I've been thinking about, um, social media recently is Sam Harris is a, another podcaster who kind of describes it as a, a funhouse distortion of reality. So you see all of the other humans interacting and not as they really are in person. It's not their true character. It's just this warped view of who they are and they see you the same way. And so I'm convinced that a lot of the people who get in these shit fest Twitter battles, actually, if they had a conversation with one another and you remove them from the gladiatorial arena of uh, social media and they weren't, they didn't have an audience, they weren't trying to impress uh, each other, and you just brought them together for a conversation. They would speak to each other like real humans, like real, like real adults with empathy, with kind of a mutual sense of uh, you know, understanding. The way we're talking to each other right now, guy, and um, you'd remove all of that. So part of me wonders how much of it is the medium. Um, but there's another element that is like crypto has a scoreboard. There's a top 100 market cap. Um, fortunes are made and lost. There is actual economic value in propaganda that can be extracted fairly immediately. There are a lot of scams. Um, a lot of people got totally wrecked in 2021 and 2022, and they don't trust anybody and are pushing like out those feelings of distrust uh, online. So part of it's a symptom that is uh, relevant to crypto. But I don't know. I like. I find it kind of exhausting sometimes. And the best thing I can do during those times is like, just turn it off. Like I, you know, you know, it's hard when you're in kind of like media, right? Cause then you lose your source of information, but uh, change the way you're interacting, you know, ignore things, mute if you have to set your profile on private for, for a period of time, whatever you need to do to kind of uh, play the marathon. And it's similar to like, playing the marathon with your investing, right? It's just ra rather than a financial volatility with, with um, social media engagement, you have to get used to kind of like the emotional volatility of like one week, everyone hates you. And then you're the next week, you're like a God, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just how it goes. Uh, at least that's how I've experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it shows how, it shows how badly I'm in the bubble, doesn't it? That I, you know, it's just, oh, uh, crypto Twitter is sort of my, my experience of social media, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's all these other 
all these other every I guess everywhere has its own you know sort of social media gathering that's probably you know good chance it's even more toxic than than some of the stuff you get with uh, you get with crypto. But it is it is lovely when you meet people in the flesh, isn't it? When you go to a when you go to a conference and people come up and are just you know all they want to do is just talk about crypto. And you and I remember sort of the first time first couple of times I went to actual sort of live crypto events, I was like. Am I going to get people come up and 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 just scream at me? Be like, you, you, you <laughs> get all over this project in that video. How dare you? And and no uh, one did. Everyone, you know, everyone no, who came I, up and said hello was like, I really, I really enjoy watching your videos. Thanks. You know, it's great. And then and then just talk about crypto. It was it, it was an amazing feeling. But I was so nervous before I went there because I was like, what's yeah, this is like I. That's been my experience and the few times I, I do get out. But um, this is why my co-host, David, is just basically addicted to, uh, in real life, crypto meetups and conferences. I don't know, he must go to like a dozen or so a year. So um, because it's it's exactly, it's it's refreshing to the soul uh, very much. Um, people are um, actually reasonable, like nice, <laughs> pleasant to talk to and passionate uh, and uh, very similar, I think. that That's the thing about crypto is what I would say is um, for all of our differences, there is a common core set of values that that we all you know believe. So you might believe in a you know a high transaction throughput uh, integrated blockchain versus uh, the modular vision, right? Or you might believe in like Bitcoin uh, over Ethereum as your store of value, or or whatever, or vice versa, right? But the thing that we all believe is that it is a, a fundamental economic um, freedom and good for the world to hold your own private keys, right? For an individual to um, essentially be able to act without a bank account and to have possession of that. We all believe in kind of a, a censorship resistant uh, global platform for the world. We all believe uh, in what we're trying to achieve here, which is bank the unbanked and unbank the banked. So we don't have to go through centralized intermediaries. And at the end of the day, I think um, we don't, probably as crypto unify on on those uh, core values enough, but they are there. And you see them in particular when we're under attack, I think. Um, that, that kind of comes out. Um, There's one thing that in the, in the US, the IRS is coming out with some very um, anti-DeFi, anti-crypto legislation. We just got 120,000 comments from uh, the crypto community responding to the IRS comment, right? I mean, the crypto community does respond and is alive and well when it's under, under attack and, and unifies in those ways. And I think that gives me hope. Yeah, yeah. Beautifully put, Ryan, beautifully put. Yeah, it's, um, it's it, we're, all, we're all going, we're, the destination is the same. We're just all kind of going there via different paths, sometimes, sometimes radically different paths. Um, but we, yeah, there's kind of more that un unites us than divides us, I think, at the end of the day. Uh, I just, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you, Ryan, um, because you've spoken to, like, every time, every time I'm, um, you know, researching something and I want to, uh, you know, I want to get, uh, I'm researching a particular person in crypto, um, I always try and listen to interviews of them. And every time it's, you guys have spoken to them already, it's like, well, I'll just, I'll just go to the Bankless episode. I mean, like, just in the past sort of few months, you've spoken to, you've spoken to like Arthur Hayes, Lynn Alden, Sergei Nazarov, Vitalik, CZ, you know, kind of everyone who's everyone in, in crypto. Um, I wanted to ask you, is, is there anyone in particular on your kind of wish list for future interviews? And, and who was the most sort of, 
who was the most kind of surprising, who surprised you the most or who was kind of like the most, uh, um, the most unpredictable off stage, perhaps? Well, I would say on the wish list, uh, we've for a very long time had actually Elon Musk on on the wish list um, as somebody who would be just a fascinating discussion. Like he talks about crypto so much, but um, it's not it's not clear how deep he is in it. And then there's also the AI angle, that kind of thing. So that would be probably close to the top of our list. Um, as far as uh, big like biggest guest that was most surprising. Um, Mark Cuban, uh, you know, kind of a celebrity, wealthy uh, individual in the U.S., uh, he came on the podcast in the very early days for Bankless, mm -hmm. and it was an absolute shock to David and myself that number one, he was in crypto and like using DeFi protocols. Like he could talk about Ave, he could talk about Compound, he could talk um, about Solidity, he was, and that he's just learning to write us. Solidity. Yeah. And the fact that he was willing to come on a you know a crypto podcast at that time, so that was um, incredibly surprising. I I don't know. Um, Guy asked David who was the the like most um, surprising guest off camera that we've had. Um, hmm. Maybe while you think about that, I'll just say the person that is exactly the same way off camera, on camera, no matter what, is uh, Vitalik Buterin. Yeah, like I. Um, you know, I we David wait, and I have talked wait, about. You know, you've never met Vitalik off camera. Not not in person, but off camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I and I meet everyone through you, David. Didn't you know right. everyone yeah, you've yeah, met? Yeah. I've also uh -huh. met. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, I just you know it would be top top three betrayals for me if if it turned out that Vitalik was not who he actually purports to be and 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 seems to be. But I I think that he actually is. Like I yeah. think that he's actually a, a fantastic person. And uh, he is, he's the same, both off-camera and on-camera. I don't know, David, would you add any uh, surprises, weirdest guest experiences, anything like this? Um, I think we do a pretty good job of kind of vetting guests so that uh, the weird we don't invite the weird ones on. There was one episode that we did in the height of the bull market last year where we we had we were just getting flamed by all these other communities, but like, why won't you, you guys are just dumb ETH maxis, you guys only talk about Ethereum, why aren't you talking about other ecosystems, talk about Solana, talk about Terra Luna, talk about uh, Avalanche. And so we were like, you know, F it, we'll just do all of them at once. And so we invited Emin, Doquan, and, uh, and Anatoly on a show for just for one single podcast, put them all together. Uh, <laughs> That show was also a mess. Uh, at the end of that show, I like very much realized that like Do Doquan's kind of an asshat. I would never really be friends with Emin, but Anatoly, I'll totally get a beer with. And then, like interestingly enough, it's like Solana that is the ecosystem that you know figures out how to survive through the bear market and attract a real community. And I don't think that there's a coincidence there. Well, there you go. That's the alpha. So invest in the founders you get a beer with. Uh, yeah. The crypto founders you get yeah. a beer with. That's what we're yeah. ending the show with. So but Vitalik doesn't drink. Advice. Doesn't drink beer, but uh, he he'll drink He's green got the tea. Wine, wine and green tea. He, he, right? that's a, he only did that once. That's not a thing that. He does. <laughs> <laughs> invest in something where you can have a carrot juice with the founder yeah right exactly um, yeah. yeah much more wholesome I'm, I'm i mean i'm reassured to hear vitalik's like that because i think if mm -hmm. you know if that was an act that would be that i mean it would be amazing it would be an amazing right. piece of uh theater, but it would also <laughs> he would be, be the cool, biggest right? kind, of uh, kind of worrying as well yeah he, um, he would be the biggest just like fraudster of all time if that he was able to keep up that act that would just be something unreal but no 
Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't need that. Um, as to Elon Musk, like I, I think I would I would love to, to to hear you guys interview him because yeah, I think Ryan, as you say, like he does talk about crypto a lot, but it's like. It seems to be like, I mean, he was kind of on it on Joe Rogan uh, a couple of weeks back, wasn't it? And he sort of dips his toe in and he starts talking about it. And then the conversation goes somewhere else. You're like, no, right. come back, talk, right. talk more yeah. about crypto. And now he's talking about Twitter becoming basically a uh, replacement for banks. Uh, and you can yeah. do all of your banking on Twitter. And so we go and we're just like, but that means crypto, right? Like how else are you going to do this? Because you're going to have to use the legacy banking system unless you use crypto. Right. And so I, you know, maybe that will draw him in. Uh, we'll have to see. He, he's amenable yeah. to crypto. Elon, Elon's a crypto guy. He's a crypto I said, guy. I said he, he needs to be better. When you left, David, I said he was our, uh, like our number one uh, guest, like on our wish list mm. for the longest time. Anyway. Yeah, you, uh, be, Elon for the views would be the number one guess. Yuval Noah Harari for the content. Oh yeah, the other for big the, one. Yeah. Oh, and also Ray Dalio. Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing all three of them. I think uh, I think it would be you know it'd be great to hear, great to hear those guys on the show before too long. So if any of if any of those guys are watching, you guys have to get on Bankless ASAP because mm -hmm. we That's these right. are let's, conversations. Let's manifest that. Yeah. I agree with that. Into reality. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I've taken up a lot of your time already. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've got a lot more things to do. But um, thank you so much. This was this was great. I've got I've got like a list of about a dozen other questions um, to ask you, but it, it'll have to wait until another time. But um, this has been fantastic. You guys do amazing work. I love listening to you. Um, anyone watching, if you're not subscribed to Bankless, you're missing out. Um, we will leave links uh, below in the description uh, where you can follow um, Ryan and David and. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. I hope I hope this was fun, and um, I hope we can I hope we can catch up again soon. It was Here's an absolute guy. blast. Hey, David, can we say that guy is our favorite crypto YouTuber? Yeah. Are we able to say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's mine. Hundred percent. There you go. 100%. There you go, guy. Thank you for everything you do. We, <laughs> we certainly appreciate it. Um, but guys, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. That was that was amazing. Really enjoyed it. And um, sure. yeah, just keep doing keep doing what you're doing. We'll do. You Take will. care. Thanks. Awesome. Bye, guys.